preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. Like this year we've done Titus and Micah and Acts and even in some of the other special holiday sermons we've done. It's mainly just been in one passage and I think it's the right thing to do. I think it's the best way to explain scripture. Paul says to preach the whole counsel of God. I think it's the best way to preach the whole counsel of God. Also, I just want to say it's easier to do that. And I was reminded of that this week. It's easier to just be in one passage and work through it than try to do topical preaching and go to a whole bunch of other passages. However, I say all that, and there are a few occasions sometimes when I do think it's important for us to look at what the whole Bible says about one specific topic, especially as we are thinking about something. And so for this morning and next week, I want to look at what the Bible says about elders. Now, you might have some different mindsets and beliefs on what you think elders are. And, you know, we, you go to some churches and they have pastors. You go to some churches, they have elders or bishops. And, you know, the Roman Catholic Church has the Pope and the Cardinals. And sometimes you can just get a headache from thinking about, you know, what are all these different leadership positions? And so I want us to have some clarity on that this morning. Um, and the reason we are looking at this is because our church leadership is considering a change into biblical eldership. Now, our constitution actually has this as part of our church's constitution that we can have elders, both staff elders like I am. I'm a pastor elder, um, but also lay elders as well. And so our church leadership has been um, talking about this together. And we're looking at the end of the year of nominating a couple men to serve as elders and then one man to serve as a deacon. And so Tim and Keith make up our steering committee currently. And I know I've had many of you ask me, you know, what's a steering committee? It's not really found in scripture well it's something that church plants will normally use as they are launching to have some sort of biblical leadership to have some guys who can be part of the leadership process but you don't have to necessarily appoint them as elders yet and so when this church was founded it adopted that leadership structure at some point along the way and we know our church has been around now for quite some time and we've still kept that leadership structure and so what we want to look at doing towards the end of the year is nominating Tim and Keith to serve as elders. And we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. And then Schaefer as a deacon. Um, well, he would be our church's first deacon. And so while this sermon is going to primarily be about elders, I do want to talk about the role of deacon as well. Um, but we also just looked at that in the book of Acts. As I think about church leadership and all the confusion there can be around it, I'm reminded of when I worked at a grocery store in college it had 600 employees there. It was just a huge grocery store. It was like a, reminded me of a Walmart Supercenter almost, but it was called Hy-Vee. It had 600 people and they had managers, they had assistant managers, they had supervisors, directors, executive directors, shift managers, HR managers, uh, deli specialists, you know, customer service managers. And there were more people I, that could tell me what to do than I could literally count on both of my hands. And there'd be sometimes, especially if I was helping out with something in the back, I would have a manager tell me to do something. I would have a director tell me to do something else. I would have the shift manager come over and tell me to do something else. And I was trying to think in my mind, which one is ranked above the other? I mean, I needed a flow chart to figure out how all of this worked. And it was a great grocery store, very well run, especially in that town. Um, the leadership just wasn't quite clear to me. And sometimes, like I said, we can feel like this in churches today. Um, I've got some friends who are part of Presbyterian churches. They have 
um, teaching elders and ruling elders, and then they have bishops and different things like that over their churches. You know, like I said earlier, the Catholic Church has priests and bishops and cardinals and all these other positions. And what I want to focus on is what does the Bible say about biblical leadership? And we'll talk about this in a moment. But the Bible actually uses the word pastor, the word elder, and the word bishop simultaneously. Like they're all referring to the same office. And we'll talk about that in a few moments. And so there's a lot of questions over what this kind of leadership style looks like. And so what we want to do, this is still going to be a biblical sermon. We want to walk through passages of scripture and try to understand what is biblical leadership for the church. Now, while I said this is more of a topical sermon, I still want this to be a biblical sermon coming from scripture and the different passages. And that's why I printed out some handouts for you so you can have those passages with you. You don't have to write them down or anything. They're just right there. And you can go back and study them even on your own if we don't spend a lot of time in some of them. But ultimately, I don't want this to just be my words or my thoughts on the issue. But I want this to come from God's word. And my prayer is that you would understand that as we go through this sermon. And so what I want us to see today our sermon idea is that we as a church should live in harmony with biblical leadership. Now, I've used that phrase before. I used it when I was preaching Titus. And sometimes, you know, I'm sure you can wonder, what, is, what does he mean by that? What does it mean to live in harmony with biblical leadership? Well, it's more than just being yes people and saying yes to everything the leadership wants to do. But do you encourage biblical leadership? Not just with me, but the other leaders in this church. Do you hold leadership accountable? We're going to talk about the pastoral qualifications. There's no other job really in the world that the Bible gives qualifications to other than the pastor. And that's what makes the pastor's job kind of difficult sometimes because everybody can read their job qualifications. So do you hold me, do you hold the other leadership accountable to the biblical qualifications for the office? Are you serving in your local church? Are you finding ways to be involved? And maybe you're not going to be an elder or a deacon or any other kind of official position within a church, but are you serving? Are you helping in the church? And then lastly, and what I want us to ultimately see is that do you recognize Christ as the head of the church? As we talk about leadership and sometimes pastoral leadership, we can make the mistake of saying, Oh, that's Pastor So-and-So's church. This is Lance's church. This is someone else's church, you know. He's my leader. He's my pastor. And while in some sense I am the pastor here at this church and I enjoy that responsibility, we want to recognize that Christ is the head of the church. And even as we'll see at the end, he is actually the chief shepherd. And all those who serve under him are called under-shepherds. So they only report or they only do what Christ tells them to do. Just like I had managers and different people over me at the grocery store, Christ is the ultimate one in charge. And everything we teach, every person we shepherd, and every way that we lead, we want to lead like Christ and do what he wants us to do. And so keep those four questions in mind as we go throughout this sermon and think about how they can apply to you. We're going to take today and focus on the question, who are the elders? There can be some different 
mistakes and some different thoughts on what elders actually are. We want to focus on who are the elders today. And next Sunday, we're going to focus on what do the elders do. So today we're focusing on who are the elders. Next Sunday, we're going to focus on what do the elders do. There's four things I want to point out about who these elders are. First of all, they are pastors and bishops. Now, please don't call me Bishop Lance because that could get a little confusing, especially in the community if people start calling me Bishop Lance. But you've probably wondering, wondered why churches have different titles for their offices. And that's because the Bible, like I've said, uses different terms for the pastoral office differently. Just as we as a church believe the term pastor, elder, and bishop are the same office, some churches don't necessarily believe that. And they will give different roles to different people. And I want to show you why I think they are actually one office. So first of all, turn to Acts 20. Turn to Acts 20. And we won't be able to spend a ton of time in any one of these passages, but we would just want to see some support for why pastor, elder, and bishop are the same office. Acts 20, 17, notice what Paul says. He's talking to the Ephesian elders. We'll come back to Acts 20 a couple different times. He says, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So notice he's talking to the elders. Presbyteros is what it is in Greek. I'm going to skip over some of this. Paul gives a lengthy description of his own ministry, the trials he faced, all the things that he did, how he served God. Notice verse 28. Skip on down to 28. Pay careful attention yourselves to the flock. Now, who is in charge of a flock? Well, a shepherd. And shepherd is actually where we get our term for pastor or poimenos. And so that has a shepherding function. Even if it's not clear there, we can see some pastoral implications. So he's called an elder. He's told to pay attention to the flock. And then he says, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That word overseers can be translated as bishop or episkopos. And we'll talk about what each of these roles mean in a moment. So in Acts 20, we see how the elders here were elders. They were also pastors. They were bishops, overseers. All right. We'll come back there later in our sermon. Turn to Titus chapter 1. We looked at Titus this last spring together. We know Titus 1 contains the pastoral qualifications. If you look at Titus chapter 1 verse 5, it says, This is why I left you in Crete, so you may put what remained in order and appoint. There we see that word, elders. You go a little bit farther down in the qualifications, verse 7. For an overseer, that's again the word for bishop. And then he gives some qualifications for elders as well. So I believe in that passage, we see the word elder, we see the word bishop used simultaneously. Now you might ask, where is the word pastor? And we actually don't see it used here. I am just going to point out something in verse 9, though. It says, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. So he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. That idea of teaching the word and guarding the word of God in the church has a shepherding aspect to it. Now, I'm not going to try to say that the word pastor is used in this passage. It's not. But especially next week as we talk about what does the elder, what does the pastor actually do, part of shepherding the church is teaching the word, number one, 
but also protecting the doctrine of the church. Think about what a shepherd does. They feed their sheep, right? They make sure they're well fed. They also protect their sheep from wolves. And part of the elder's function in a church is to guard the sheep from false teaching, from those who would try to get false doctrine into the church. And sometimes we don't recognize that like we should. Lastly, go back to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. This was the passage that Tim read for us. This is going to be the passage that we come back to the most. Verse 1, I exhort, again, there we see that word, the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. What's the next word he uses? Shepherd. Now, again, this is using the word pastor as a verb. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So we see here that he's an elder, and we'll talk again about what these terms mean in a moment. But he also is a shepherd, and he talks about how to do that. Now, notice that next phrase, it says, exercising what? Oversight. That's part of the role of a bishop or an overseer, is to exercise oversight over the church, leadership, directing the church. It doesn't mean the church members don't make any decisions, but the elders, the overseers help guide the church. There's a lot more I want to say about this passage. It gives a great charge to the elders here about how to, how to shepherd the flock well. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. So no one needs to force someone to be an elder, but they should do so willingly. They should have a desire for that office. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. The idea of eldership actually has more of the idea of being an example. Now, it does refer to age sometimes, being an older person, but it refers more to maturity. Can that pastor, can that elder be mature? Can other people look to him and say, this is how I want to live my life? So in this passage, we see that the pastor shepherds his flock. He exercises oversight as a bishop. Then he's told to shepherd rightly. Now in your handout, there's some leadership implications I've given for this point. So you might be wondering, why is he taking so much time to talk about how pastor, elder, and bishop are the same office? Well, for one, I want to make sure we're not confused about it. Because again, there's different terms used. Sometimes that can be confusing. I've had people ask me, maybe not at this church, but why don't we have bishops? Why does our church not have cardinals or like a pope or something? And well, we don't see those offices in scripture. And so there's implications for this office. First of all, the office of elder is given three names in the New Testament. That's what we've been trying to see. We also want to see that all three of these names capture an aspect of the elder's responsibility. So first of all, the pastor. This captures the spiritual and shepherding element of what a pastor does. They shepherd the flock. And like I said earlier, that involves feeding, so giving the word, giving instruction, teaching the flock. It also involves protection from false teaching. The pastor should make sure that false teaching doesn't enter the church. You might be wondering, how do all these churches go so liberal? 
and have all this false teaching in their church, you know what it comes down to? Their pastors have not protected them. Their pastors have not kept false teaching out of the church. Some of those pastors might actually be wolves in sheep's clothing. It's a very important aspect of the pastor's responsibility to keep false teaching out of God's church. Secondly, the elder. This refers to spiritual maturity, a godly example. There's a reason why when we get to the qualifications, which we'll look at later, the pastor is called an elder there. Elders should be this. Elders should not do this. It refers to the example and maturity that they are to be to the flock. Now think about what Paul says to Timothy. Paul says to Timothy, let no one disregard your youth. And me as a young guy, I love that verse because it says, hey, don't let anyone get down on you because of your youth. But what does it say after that? But be an example to the flock in your conduct, in your speech, and how you live your life. Eldership is more than just about, oh, is a person a certain age? It is actually about, is a person mature enough for the office? There are both young men and old men who should not serve in that office because they don't meet the qualifications or they are not an example to the church. So elder captures that idea of spiritual maturity. And then lastly, the bishop. The bishop. And this is probably the most foreign to us because, again, I, I would really like for you guys not to call me Bishop Lance. It sounds too much like Bishop T.D. Jakes or something. But the bishop is showing the leadership and the oversight of the office. They help lead and guide the church. They also take care of the church. As we think about this point here that pastors are elders bishop and bishops, think about yourself for a moment. How do you support the pastor in each of these roles? Not just me, but even other leadership in our church. How do we care for one another? The pastors care and shepherd the sheep. How do you guys care for one another? And I would echo what Tim said earlier. This is probably one of the best churches I've been in as far as members who care for one another and know what's going on. There are many, many times where I hear about something going on in someone's life and I am not the first one to know about it. But you all share prayer requests and encourage one another in that. And that does my heart well, to know that we have members who care for one another biblically. Number two, the second aspect of who are the elders, I want us to see that they share leadership. They share leadership. Now you might think, what is he talking about? Well, in two different ways. First of all, they share leadership. And again, all this is leadership under the ultimate leadership of Christ, which we'll talk about at the end. They share leadership with other elders. <clears throat> they share leadership with other elders. This is something that we can sometimes miss when talking about leadership. That actually, I think the biblical model for leadership is plural or multiple elder leadership. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment. Turn to Acts 14. Turn to Acts 14. Now, before I read all these verses and talk about how I think there should be multiple elders in the church, I do want to say this. I don't think it's wrong for a church to have one pastor. Why do I think that? 
Well, because our church at this point only has one pastor or elder. So I don't think it's necessarily wrong for a church to just have one. Some churches only have one man who can do the job. But I think it's God's preferred leadership structure, at least from what we see in Scripture, that there should be multiple elders, both either they can be paid or they can just be lay elders who serve in that office, but they don't take a salary. And here's what I mean by that. Look at Acts 14. We'll look at verse 23 together. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. We'll get to this moment later in our study of Acts. But here we see Paul and Barnabas appointing elders in their first missionary journey. So they'd go to the church, they'd preach the gospel, they'd encourage the church that was already there. And then before they left, they would appoint elders. And notice that it's plural, multiple elders. Now you might say, well, maybe there were multiple churches. But yes, it says, but in every church, singular. This shows every church had multiple elders, multiple people in charge. Look at Acts 15.6 for a moment. They're talking about the um, issue of circumcision within the local church. And here in Acts 15.6, it says the apostles and elders, plural, were gathered together to consider this matter. Now, I don't think this verse is necessarily the strongest argument because there could have been more than one church in Jerusalem. But we at least see this idea of multiple elders making decisions. Go back to Acts 20 for just a moment. <clears throat> verse 17, once again, we'll read it again. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called, once again, the elders, plural, of the church, singular. So he called the elders of the church to come to Paul. So once again, we see this idea of plural elder leadership. Go to Philippians 1.1 for just a moment. Now, I could have picked almost any of the books that Paul wrote because he will use this in many or most of them. But Philippians, I think, shows it well. Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. Now again, it's that other use that it's that other word used here of overseers or um, bishops, but I think it's referring to the office of elder. And notice we also see deacons used here as well in the plural. Titus chapter one verse five. We've already been there, but as it gives the qualifications for elders, I think we see the idea again of plural elder leadership. Go to James chapter 5, verse 14. James 5, 14. Now, there's a lot of questions over this verse that I'm not going to get into today. Like, what does it mean for praying over the sick and anointing them with oil? You can study that out for yourself right now. We're focusing on the aspect of eldership. And I just want us to see, it says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders, plural, of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And then finally, in, back in 1 Peter 5, like I said, we'd be coming back here often. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as the partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, 
shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So the elders, plural, shepherding the flock, singular. Now, again, why am I spending so much time talking about this? Is this really that significant? Well, I think that it's scripture's at least preferred model that there are multiple elders in the church. Now, I think that can happen in two ways, and I've said this. You can have multiple paid pastors, and some churches have that, and I think that's great, that's fine. But some churches like ours, you know, we can't really afford to have more than one paid pastor. And so how do we look at that then? Well, I think it's okay, I think it's good that a church can have lay elders, elders who are not paid for the position. Why do we want to have plural elders? Well, I think the Bible says that it's at least a preferred model. I think there's some other benefits as well, and it's in your handout. Number one, there's increased accountability. There's increased accountability. What do I mean by that? Well, sometimes in a church with just one elder or one pastor, there can be a lack of accountability. Sometimes those people can think that they are really in charge and that no one else is on their level. And so this isn't the only way to have more accountability, but I think plural elders actually gives more accountability for each elder in what they are doing. They can hold each other accountable. Now, I don't only think it's right for that, but number two, I think it also encourages fellowship. The elders can work together. They can teach God's word together. They can shepherd the flock together. They can lead together in unison. It's encouraging to me, even as I see other men in our church teaching God's word. It's helpful for me because I don't have to teach Sunday school or some of the other studies, but we have other men who can teach and who are able to teach well. <clears throat> Number three, we can have more examples of maturity. You can have more examples of spiritual maturity. What do I mean by this? Well, in our church, we have several men who I think are good examples in our leadership of how to be a mature Christian. Now, I'm a younger man. I'm not married. But there are other older godly men in our church who I think you can look to and say they have good marriages. They know how to serve God well in that area. My hope is that you can look to them for that example in their life as I'm still young and I'm still single in that area. Lastly, they can share teaching. They can share teaching. And I've mentioned this earlier, but all of them can teach the word. All of them can shepherd others in the word in that way. Now, I don't think that shared leadership is just necessarily with other elders, but they also share leadership with the congregation. And what do I mean by that? As we think about having elders, even in our church, what I'm not saying is that we should get rid of just any and all congregational decision making. I think there are some decisions that should be made by the entire congregation and the elders lead in that way. So some churches, especially more Presbyterian churches, will have what we call elder rule, where the elders make all the decisions. And I don't necessarily think that's right for a couple reasons. First of all, turn to Matthew 16. Turn to Matthew 16. We know this passage well from Peter proclaiming Jesus as the Christ. Jesus asks, who do people say that I am? After the disciples give different answers, Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Look at verse 18 with me. 
I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So he's starting to talk about the church, how God loves and protects his church. Then look at verse 19. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So I think Jesus within this verse is showing that the church actually has authority as a whole. We see this, I think, a little bit more clearly in Matthew 18. Look at Matthew 18 in verses 15 through 20. We see what happens when someone in the congregation sins. We see this aspect of church discipline. So we go through the process of if your brother sins against you, go to him privately, try to restore him privately if he refuses bring two or three witnesses to try to restore him but keep it private if he still doesn't listen tell it to the church and notice the church as a whole i think has authority in this issue of church discipline that's one of the major areas i think the congregation should make a decision i don't think it should just be the elders saying who should stay or who's you know sin and not repentant but it should be an entire church Decision, And we see an example of that here. Verse 18, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now, most people use this verse and try to say, oh, if we just have two or three people, we can stay at home and not have a church and just have church here. And I don't think that's quite what Jesus is getting at. He's saying, if the church agrees on something, I am there with you as well. Now you might say, well, there's other churches who have gone off the rails and let false doctrine into their church. But what, Paul is, what Jesus is saying here is that the church has authority in this issue of church discipline. Go lastly to Acts 6. Acts 6, we just looked at this several weeks ago together looking at this um, aspect of deacons. Remember what was going on in this church in Acts. You had the Hellenistic Greek widows who were not being attended to by the church. And when they go to the apostles, what do the apostles say? They say, hey, we're kind of overworked. We're trying to teach the word. And it's not right for us to give up teaching the word to wait tables or to serve these widows And it wasn't anything against the widows or against that position, but their ministry was ministering the word. That's what God had called them to do. So look at verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good refute, full of the spirit and wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. Now, why did the apostles not just pick out the deacons themselves? Could they have done that? Yes. Could they have found seven men to fulfill this responsibility? Yes. But they actually let the church make this decision. But notice that the apostles led in this. They came up with the solution. The church voted on who these deacons would be. So again, we see the congregation involved in leadership. So for me, I think the best model of leadership is an elder-led congregational authority where the elders lead, help guide, and shepherd the church, but the church still has authority in making decisions. 
as we think about even this point, do you support church leadership? Again, not just being yes, men or women, but are you encouraging, are you supporting the leadership, not just me, but as of the church as a whole? Do you recognize your role as well as a church member? Just as God's given multiple elders to help the church, he's given all of us special gifts and abilities to serve the church well. I want us thirdly to see that elders are qualified men. Elders are qualified men. Go to 1 Timothy 3. Go to 1 Timothy 3. We'll just look at two passages here, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Now, as I'm turning here, I want to say that I want to, I want to focus on the fact that these are qualified men, not just the fact that they're men. And this is where people can get confused about eldership sometimes. They can think, oh, the church is just trying to exclude women or not giving women equal authority. And I don't think that's what is trying to be done here by Paul. Rather, he's just noticing that this role is specifically designed for men. But notice it's not all men. Not all men in the church are going to be elders. Not all men are qualified to be elders. Not all men are called to be elders in the church. But women have a role in the church as well. I just don't think it should be in the elder office of the church. We talked about this a little bit in Sunday school. I'll just briefly talk about it right now. Go to just look above in 1 Timothy to 1 Timothy 2 for just a moment. It says, let a woman learn in quite learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. I had a professor in one of my pastoral classes in seminary tell me that he would have people ask him when he was a pastor, hey, why can't a woman be an elder? And he said, well, I have no problem with a woman being an elder. Their eyebrows got big and they're like, really? He said, yeah, if she meets the qualifications of a husband being of one wife. And he says, if you can be a woman and a husband of one wife, he's like, that doesn't make any sense. Now, today with our culture and all the transgender stuff, I would probably be a little careful about saying that because things have just gotten way worse. But a woman is not permitted, at least from what we can see in Scripture, to be an elder. And I really do believe that. But I also want us to see that it's for qualified men as well. We look here in 1 Timothy 3 together. Look at verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, I want to just mention here that I really think the first qualification of being an elder is that you have a desire for the office. There might be people you know who you think would be great elders or great pastors. There have been people who I've been to Bible college with who have been told by others, hey, you should be a pastor. You should be in leadership in the church, but they don't have a desire for it. They don't want to do it. And I really think that's the first qualification of an elder. Now, I won't take the time to go through all these qualifications because we could be here all day if I did that. I would rather say, if you have more questions, I preached on this in Titus. You can go back and listen to that if you have more questions on some of the specific qualifications Rather, I just want to point out some different general aspects of the qualifications. Notice, first of all, that the character of the elder is primary. Paul could talk about the elder's giftedness, how great of a speaker they are, 
how many people they've seemingly won to the Lord, how charismatic they are as a person. And all those things may not be bad, but he actually talks about their character. The elder should be above reproach. Now, I think that refers to all these things. You should be above reproach in all of these different areas. He's to be blameless. He's to be sober-minded. He's to be self-controlled, respectable. It deals with the character of the elder. And that is something that is interesting throughout Scripture, that oftentimes God cares more about your godliness and your character rather than your giftedness. You might think, I can't serve in this area because God hasn't gifted me. But God is so much more concerned with your character and if you truly love him. And oftentimes we see God give people the gifting and the experience and the tools they need later to serve him. So the elder's character is primary. Notice also the elder's family is emphasized. The elder's family is emphasized. He's a husband of one wife. I think that's better translated as a one-woman man. He's only been married to one woman. He doesn't have multiple wives. He's been faithful to his wife. It says he manages his own household well. I actually think this has more to do with household management than even just raising your children. Now, I do think it is talking about how you raise your children in your household, but do you manage your household well? Even during that time, the elders and the men who were wealthy would have multiple different people, servants, slaves, employees that would be considered part of their household. Can you manage your household well? Lastly, notice their reputation is also considered He should be well thought of by outsiders. Those inside and outside the church should think well of the elder. Turn over to Titus 1. I'm not going to go through all the qualifications. Maybe to the same level I did with 1 Timothy 3. But in Titus 1, I want you to see the purpose of why elders were appointed in verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so you may put what remained in order so you can put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as i directed you paul is saying part of having things in order in the church is having elders in the church who can lead well but not just elders but qualified elders so after that he goes through the qualifications for the elder and there's some slight variances between what we see in first timothy 3 and titus 1 But look at verse 9. This is what I think is really the most helpful aspect of what Titus adds. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. So he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. One of the most important aspects of the elder's ministry is that he holds fast to God's word. We talked about that in Sunday school, that he doesn't waver from it. That he doesn't think that it's got errors. That he knows it's inerrant and infallible. The elder, the people we appoint to eldership here as a church, should be men of God's word. Who love God's word, who know God's word, who believe God's word. As you think about even yourself, you might think, I'm not able to be an elder, or I'm not looking to be an elder. How, how does any of this apply 
to me? Do you hold elders to these qualifications? Now, please don't come to my office every week with a checklist and ask me if I'm doing all these things that are found in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. I mean, you can do that maybe once a month, but every week would be a little bit too much. And don't look at how I train my dog and say, oh, he's not managing his household well. You all know Mac, and you know how difficult he is sometimes. But do you hold elders accountable? Sometimes we can have the mistaken notion of thinking, oh, he's a pastor. He's a lay elder at his church. There's nothing wrong in his life when really they need to be reminded that they are accountable to these qualifications. I said this when I preached Titus. These are not easy things for me to read. I spent probably some of the most time I've ever spent studying for a sermon that week when I was studying those qualifications because they are so difficult sometimes to grasp and to internalize. Now, don't just think about how elders measure up, but think about yourself. Now, again, woman, it's going to be hard for you to be the husband of one wife, but how do you measure up in all the other areas? These, I think, are actually good things that all Christians should be trying to do in one way or another. They should be thinking of, am I blameless? Am I well thought of by outsiders? Am I self-controlled? The list that Paul gives for the qualifications for elders, we actually see throughout all his letters as being things good Christians should try to do. Now you might say, I'm not able to teach, and that's fine, but you know God's word well enough that you could share the gospel with someone. That's something man or woman, all of us should be able to do. All of us should be able to lead someone to Christ. And then lastly, how are you serving in the church? I mentioned women. I don't think that you can be elders. But guess what? There are plenty of different ways you can serve the church. You may not be able to be elders, but how many of you in here are mothers? And you can lead your children to Christ and raise them well. How many of you in here can have a discipleship relationship with a woman that I or any other man would not be able to have because it wouldn't be appropriate. There are so many different ways women can serve and be involved in the church. I mentioned earlier, I'm going to go to my home church tonight and share and give an update on my ministry. There are more women that I can count on both hands in that church, even outside of my family, that have loved me, that have taught me in Sunday school when I was really little, who have encouraged me, who have done so many things in my life to help me grow and become like Christ. And yeah, they're not pastors or elders. They're not going to teach or preach God's word necessarily, but they are a vital and vibrant part of the church. How are you serving God's church well? We've seen with elders, they're pastors and bishops. They share leadership. They are qualified men and lastly, I want us to see their servants. Their servants. Servants, first of all, of Christ. Look at Philippians 1.1 just for a moment. And again, I could have used about any other opening to a book. I just, I really like the book of Philippians. And so I chose that book. And I think it shows us this aspect well. But Paul, in most of the books that he writes, he will talk about how he is Paul a servant or a slave of Christ Jesus. Elders and pastors don't just do the work, the ministry. 
because they want to get pride. Now, some do, but they should be serving because they want to serve Christ because they are under him and his leadership. Paul, as he serves, he served the church, he served others, but he was a servant of Christ. And we just saw in Acts his conversion, how he went from a sinner who was as far as you could get from Christ to being a bold proclaimer of the gospel. Serving as a pastor, serving as an elder is about serving Christ. Look with me at 1 Timothy 5, which I think explains this so well. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is to be reve- that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God. It is not our church. It is God's church. And he graciously allows anyone who serves in this office the joy and the privilege of shepherding them under him. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Look down at verse 4. Gives all these instructions for how they should shepherd well. And then in verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, we are all under shepherds. He is the chief shepherd. We ultimately report to him. You will receive a crown of glory. We're reminded here that we serve under Christ. And that's so important for us to remember that it's his church. And guess what? He's the one that's building it. And we just get to be along for the ride and be used by him. Servants of Christ and then servants of the church as well. I won't go back there, but in Acts 6, the apostles talk about how they would serve but they would serve in the ministry of the word. They serve the church by teaching and praying for the church often. And lastly, go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, where Paul gives a a pretty good explanation of his own ministry after he talks about the preeminence of Christ. And then in verse 24, and I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church. He's saying, I am suffering for the church. And then notice in verse 25, talking about the church, he says, of which I became a minister. Pastors and elders are servants of the church. I would say most of the time that is in teaching That is in leading, that is in shepherding, but it also can be in serving in ways that may never be noticed. It can be in packing Operation Christmas Child boxes. It can be in helping get food ready. And I'm not just saying that I do that perfectly. There are so many times where I think of ways I could serve better the church, where I could serve Christ and serve the church better. But I'm reminded and humbled even as I think about this that my service is to Christ, and it's also to his body. These are who the elders are. This is how they're described in Scripture. And I know some of this might be drinking from a fire hose. You might have questions, and I'd love to answer those after the service if you have more questions about this. But we're learning about this, for one, because we want to understand God's word better and what it says about his leadership. Number two, because our church 
would also like to have biblical offices, elders and deacons who serve in this way. Now, I didn't talk about deacons as much as I wanted to. I'll talk a little bit more about them next week. But I want to just say there's qualifications for them as well in 1 Timothy 3 and how they should act. And they serve, like we talked about a few weeks ago, to help and serve the elders in the church as well. But in conclusion, I want to talk about how this affects us. How does all of this, even if you're not going to be an elder, how does this affect you and I? It reminds us, first of all, and I've said this often, to live in harmony with biblical leadership. You don't have to turn there, but in 1 Peter 5, 5, it gives a great exhortation to the church. It says, likewise, you who are younger, you who are part of this church, clothe your, or you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, in humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. This doesn't mean there won't be times where you disagree with leadership. This doesn't mean there won't be times where you need to call maybe me out for something I've done. But Peter tells all of us to do this in humility. Whoever you're calling out, even if I need to tell someone else as a pastor something they should do differently, am I being humble about it? Am I doing so in humility, recognizing that I am a sinner as well? Live in harmony with biblical leadership. Respect their decisions. Encourage them. Secondly, honor elders who serve well. Honor elders who serve well. In 1 Timothy 5, it talks about how you can honor elders who serve. It says in verse 17, Let elders who rule be considered worthy of double honor especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. I'm not saying that so you guys will give a bunch of stuff to me or tell me how great I am or anything, but recognize those who serve God well. It should be an encouraging thing for our church that we have men, other men besides me in our church, that we think could serve in leadership. And we're blessed by that. It's encouraging to me that there's other men who can teach God's word well in Sunday school, even in preaching, so that there can be times where I don't even have to as the staff pastor here. And lastly, hold elders to the qualifications. You don't have to go back to Titus 1. We've been there often, but you see the qualifications that are listed there. They are not just things to be ignored, but they are guidelines for how pastors and elders should live. How has God encouraged you this morning to better serve his church? What ways would God have you serve one another here? How is God leading our church even to help make his name known? I hope this has been encouraging for you. Would you be praying for our church even as we consider some of these different decisions? May we all be blessed as we serve God together as a church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement we find in it. We thank you for biblical leadership, God, and for how you've instructed us and how it should be in your word. And we thank you even for our church, and I thank you for the other leaders who are here and who serve you well. Would you help all of us as we consider these topics together? May all of us be strengthened through your word. I pray that anything that was encouraging today would not be because I came up with it, but would be because it's from your 
word. That's what you would have us to learn. May will you be honored and glorified by what we do as a church. In Christ's name, amen.